praise you for all that you are. You love us, although sometimes we are unlovable, and you care for us so much, and we thank you for that. Just pray that the services this morning will be glorifying and honoring to thee, and we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Turn your Bibles to the book of John, John chapter 13, actually, and I have spent much time in prayer on John chapter 13, and it, it talks about Judas Iscariot. This morning, I realized as I'd gone through it again, how many verses and how much his focus, here he was in the upper room. He's going to spend the next couple of chapters, chapters 13 through 17 in the upper room. Judas Iscariot is initially there, and then Judas, you know, dips the sop, dips the sop in the, uh, whatever he dipped it in, (laughs) I even know right now. What? I don't know. Uh, I guess. So he he dipped it, and then he left and betrayed the Lord. And you'll see that in verse 26, 27, and so on. Um, And and nobody suspected it was Judas. Now that, to me, is pretty interesting. You can can have a devil in your midst, and they can be so religious and so pious that you have no idea. That's scary, but that's true. And that's the way the world is too. Religious people are not the best people. Christians are supposed to be the best. But religion isn't what that does, what, what, is not what helps you, it's relationship. You and I, we all, must have the right relationship in order to deal with others the right way, to have our relationship with God the right way, and, and, and that's so important. So look at verse 1. Now, before the Feast of the Passover, so where are we? Before the Feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own, which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil... Uh, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things unto his hands, and that he was come uh, from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a towel, therewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Good question. Good question. I understand where Peter's coming from. He, he, uh, he doesn't want to uh, have his Savior, or the God of the universe, wash his feet. But it's important that that happens, and, and you'll see why. The Bible says later on in, in our passage that you're all washed, and I got to think, well, you're washing the blood, but he hadn't shed the blood yet. But you know, the Bible says the washing of regeneration by the Word of God. So this washing is probably by the Word of God is what he's referring to there. But he says, not all of you are washed. Judas Iscariot wasn't. Then he's talking about washing feet. Now, why would he wash feet? Well, because your feet in that time got in contact with the world. Uh, you have parts of your body that get in contact with the world. They, they need to be washed. Your hands, your eyesight, it needs to be washed. You're clean eternally, but you've got to be clean practically. 
We've got to be clean practically. So he goes back to verse 1. Jesus knew that his hour was come. Look at Luke chapter 22. Remember, um, in Luke chapter 22, this is at the uh, after all this has gone on, uh, Judas covenants to betray him in Luke chapter 22. And then um, we're toward the end of the chapter in verse 53. Let's look at verse 52. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests, the captains of the temple, the elders which were come to him, Be ye come out as against the thief with swords and staves. So this is right at the betrayal. When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me. Why? Because they feared the people. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. And then they arrested Jesus. He said, this is your hour. One day, you know, when Jesus comes back, there's not going to be any time for Satan and his minions to have any time at all. In fact, when Satan's cast the earth the last three and a half years, he says, the Bible says he knows his time is short. He knows his time is short. But he said, this is your hour and the powers of darkness. Uh, Matthew 26, 45 says the hour has come when he's in the garden. The hour has come. He's talking about this hour. He knew that his hour was come. Time to depart this world. But notice where he's going. He's going back to the Father. Now, before that, he's going into the lower parts of the earth. Two parts in the earth. The Bible says he descended before he ascended. He went into the lower parts of the earth, into paradise. Before that, he went into hell. The Bible says his soul wasn't left in hell in Acts chapter 2. He didn't go there to suffer for us. He didn't go there to... He paid for our sins on the cross. That's important to understand. But it doesn't mean you say, well, he didn't go to hell, because the Bible's very clear that he did. And the Bible's very clear that he went into the lower parts of the earth, the two parts. But hell couldn't hold him because they weren't our sins. Maybe he deposited our sins there. We don't know. Maybe he went there, you know, because uh, he was showing the, the those in the in the lower. Listen, I'm here, but I'm not staying. And the same day, he's over there in that uh, paradise because he told that thief on the parad- on the cross, "This day thou shalt be with me in paradise." He says in verse uh, 1 again, he said, having loved his own. You know the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. You're the purchased possession, Ephesians 1, 14. The purchased possession. We're waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the purchased possession according to Romans 8, 22 and 23. And I'm not going to turn over to all those passages. I think you may be familiar with them. You should be. Uh, we're waiting for the adoption. What? The adoption of our body. We're already purchased, but, 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 but we're, we're waiting for that adoption to purchase possession, this body. My soul, my spirit are already taken care of, but my body, it still needs redemption. It still needs change. It still needs glorification. It still needs all those things that my soul, my spirit already have. You're three parts in one, in one person, body, soul, and spirit. Soul and spirit, you're all right. Your body's not. That's why we struggle with sin. That's why we, we, we want to go the wrong direction. That's why we, we have so many problems in our life because we still have that battle raging on between the old man and the new man. The new man, man, he's come in. He's in us. He wants to lead us the right way. That old man saying, no, 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 stay the way of the world. Do your own thing. Live your own way. 
And you've got to decide which one am I going to follow. It is something you submit to on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. You submit to doing the will of God through the new man. Or you follow the old man. And there's so many passages we could look at, but... You know, in verse 2, go ahead and look there, and and supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot. Now here's some sad words. Simon's son to betray him. Imagine being in the Bible, not as Matthew, not as Mark, not as Luke, not as John, but Simon's father's in here. And it says Simon's son. You could go through the book of Proverbs. And um, I tell you what, let's look over there. Proverbs chapter 10. So many places we can go. But I want to go to Proverbs chapter 10. Look at this relationship between a son and a father. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 1. The Bible says the Proverbs of Solomon... A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. A wise son is, it, it maketh a glad father. Boy, that's tremendous. Look at Proverbs chapter 17, verse 25. A foolish son is a grief to the father and bitterness to her that bare him. A foolish son. Proverbs 19.18 Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. You know what the problem in the world is today? That one verse right there. When a child knows that there's no... um, that you really can't control them with your words, you're in trouble. You can can yell until you go, you you lose your whole voice. And if that child knows there's no corporal punishment coming, and listen, you've got to be wise in that. Do you know how many times I've spanked my grandson? One time. One time. I spanked him in a store when, you know, they said, well, he runs away from you. I, I was like, well, he can't run away from me. We're in a store and it's got all these clothes and it was over there in Destin and he disappeared. I found them. Oh, I found them. Man, I was fretting. I was just, I was just like, you know, was he going to get kidnapped? Probably not. This time. So I popped him one time. And I told him, I said, I said you cannot run away from me. And I told you this story, and you know, he just, he just bawled. But whatever that was, he never wanted that experience again. I tell him to come here, and he comes here every time. Now, there was one time he was really tired. Man, I gave him a little latitude there. I mean, you've got to be wise in this thing. You, you, listen, if your child's tired beyond you know, comprehension, I mean, give a little latitude on that. But I only had to spank him one time. But listen, I don't, you know, it, it's just the way it is. You know, you, if you spoil the rod, you spare the child. Doesn't mean you beat your child. Doesn't mean you, you know. The, the, the story last night, 
Tommy Bowden was telling this story about his father. Bobby Bowden would go into a home. Well, Tommy goes into the home first for this recruit. And he says, look, he gets the mother aside. Who knows if this is true or not? But he gets the mother aside, and, and uh, the, the mother um, is listening. And, and, and Tommy says, I just got to tell you. He said, and this is a long story that he tells, but he, in the gist was, basically, Bobby Bowden beat me as a child. You know, in other words, you don't want your son going there. He's, he's an abuser. And so, you know how they, they, they talk, so they, they got other people there, and somebody would call Florida State and say, hey, by the way, Tommy said this about you. And so uh, Bobby's there the next week visiting, and, and he's the father, of course, for those of you that don't know football. And uh, he, said, he gets the mother alone. He says, well, listen, I want to be honest with you. i got to tell you, he said, I have six children. And he said, Tommy was the wildest and totally out of control and lies all the time. And the place just burst out in laughter. But, you know, it's just, it, it, it was just funny how that, that story sort of fits into what I'm talking about here. Uh, look at 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. And, and to me, this is amazing because um, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, look at who Christ died for, right? 2 Peter 2.1 but, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. So you've got false, false prophets, false teachers, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Who did the Lord buy? He bought all the lost. He says the false prophets, false teachers, they're going to deny the Lord that bought them. He died for all, not just a select few. He died for all the world, for God so loved the world. He didn't just love His own, because none of them were His own. He didn't love just a select few, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He died for the false prophets. He died for the false teachers. He died for sinners, each and every one of them. Very important to understand that. Now look back at John chapter 13 again, and we're looking at Judas Iscariot for a moment here. And uh, it says in verse 2, John, uh, John 13, 2, And the supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So the devil got in his heart. But you know, in chapter 6, verse 70, the Bible says, I've chosen you and one of you is a devil. Now, whether that was prophetically speaking or not, we don't know. We know that later on in the chapter, if you'll uh, look over at verse 27, the Bible says, And after the sop, Satan entered into him, then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, doest quickly. Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. He was a devil, John chapter 6. He, he got into his heart in John chapter 13. So you see, all of that is related. All of that is true. I don't know. Where does it start? Maybe Judas gave his heart over to Satan. Judas said, I, you know, I, 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 love I love money more than I love God. Remember, he carried the bag. Later on in the story, you're going to see, well, they, they, he left the room and they thought, well, maybe, maybe he's leaving because he's got the bag and he's got to go out and buy things when, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. They had no idea it was Judas Iscariot. 
That's why you cannot judge by the outward appearance. Because if you judge by the outward appearance, what you'll find out is there can be a ravening wolf within, the, within these four walls. I, I don't think so right now. But it doesn't mean it can't happen in the future. We just don't know. There have been many people that have abused positions of authority. There have been many people that have abused positions of trust. And what we've got to do is we've got to be ever vigilant. You might look at me and say, well, I just think, I don't understand why you do everything you do. You'd be surprised what goes through my mind sometimes, what I'm thinking, who I'm watching, why I'm watching, why I'm, why I'm always a little bit cautious in what I say and what I do and why I'm watching people. Because listen, you've got to have people that have proven themselves because you don't know whether something out there is going to haunt you later on. It's happened in many churches. Do I think we're okay? Yeah, I do. Do I think we'll be okay forever? I don't know. That's why I preach preventive maintenance. You preach preventive maintenance because you don't want to be caught up with the fact that somebody was sly enough to fool you. And boy, you, you know, you'd be surprised. I've run into some people in my lifetime. I had no idea that they were a con man. But you know what I do? I, mean, I, I think I'll tell you a story. So I, we were in... Um, we were in Baltimore, and this guy was selling tickets outside. They're on his phone, because tickets are on your phone now. He says, look here, look here, it's right here. It's a great seat, and it's this cheap price. And, and uh, Doc and the two boys were over there in line. No, 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 just let them go. And I'm, I'm like, no, 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 I, I, I got to deal with this guy. Because I, I'm watching him. He's very convincing. I mean, extremely convincing. He said, look, I'll, I'll wait until you get in the gate. And I'll walk you over the gate. You buy these tickets right here and you Venmo or you do whatever you do and I got my money and then I'll walk you over the gate. And guess what? I'd have gotten in the fence. But you know what you can do with Photoshop? You can take that ticket and put a different number on, a different seat number, and I'd be buying tickets out in left field. And you'd never know because you got in. And then by that time, he's gone. And he's got your hundreds of dollars or whatever it costs. But I watch people like that, and I interact with them because I want to know. And the, the, the boys are like, no, 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 man, he's crooked. I said, it doesn't matter. I can't tell that he is right now. But I have to figure this out. I have to figure out what is the scam. Because, you know, as a CPA, I caught people that, that embezzled money from businesses. That was my job, so that's my mindset. I'm watching people. I'm, I'm thinking. I'm always, I'm always trying to figure out what's the angle because, listen, I want to be able to advise people. I get people come to me all the time and say, what about this? And then I, sometimes I have an answer through experience that I haven't gotten hurt by, but I've got experience because I watch. And I want to help people out. <clears throat> but listen, I don't, I don't say y'all should do that. Y'all look at people and go, man, he's crook. <laughs> don't even give him the time of day, man. Because listen, the more they talk, the more convincing they become. The more convincing they come, the sooner your bank account's going to go, Ooh, it's going to go down. Judas Iscariot. Devil got in his heart. You know how many people have given their heart to Satan? More than we know. And once they give their heart to Satan, you can't trust them any farther than you can pick them up and you can throw them. Because you don't matter. All that matters is them satisfying their greed. All that matters is them satisfying their need for, for whatever it is that you have that they want. You know, the people that I have noticed that are the most upset over people that are crooks are crooks. Boy, you don't ever steal from a crook. Boy, they'll shoot you for it. Watch. How dare you steal from me? 
Really, I have watched them. I, you say, well, how do you get around them? It, it, it's just the nature of my business. I was, I was in mission work for 20 plus years. And I studied people. I watched people. I want to know. I, I, I watch a lot of stuff on Hitler. You say, you really? Yeah, I watch him. I'm looking at that man that convinced millions of people to follow him and to kill indiscriminately. How in the world? Did he, and, and listen, this is in German. I, I know a little bit of German, so I can hear some of it. But how did he do that? I want to know. I want to know how Mussolini did it. I want to know how, how, how Khomeini did it. I want to know how they did it. I want to know how they convinced people. But then you watch on the other side, and you, you see Great Britain. And the leadership over there, and, and you watch that, and the inspiration that they were to the people, and, and you watch those things, and you go, wow, that's amazing. You've got to watch both sides, lest you get you know, too uncorked over here. But I like to, I like to watch people. Not you all. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm not judging you all. But here's Judas Iscariot, man. He's let Satan in his heart. Satan entered his heart. How terrible that is. Look at chapter 12, verse 4. Chapter 12, verse 4. Here's one of the things that I want to point out to you about Judas Iscariot that we already went over recently. Verse 4, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. This is after the, after, uh, the, the, the ointment was poured on Jesus' head, or his feet. Simon's son, which should betray him. Why... Was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Well, that's a good question. Look at the next verse. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. He was a politician. So if you start studying Judas Iscariot out a little bit, yes, Satan entered into his heart in chapter 13. But what did he do in chapter 12? He wanted the money. He already had. He already he had an underlying problem. It wasn't that he didn't have choice? Was Judas Jesus going to be betrayed? Yes. Was Judas going to betray him? Yes. Did he have a choice? Yes. What was he? He was a thief from the beginning. His heart wasn't right. So he let that sin control him. And by the way, you know what this sin really was? The sin of hypocrisy. Let's take care of the poor here. Using people to manipulate other people. That's terrible. That's terrible. And yet, that's what Judas did. Look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands. This is in John chapter 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hand, and that He was come from God and went to God. Sounds like John 1 again. He riseth from supper, laid aside His garments, took a towel, girded Himself, poured water in the basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet. He washed their feet. Now, let me just tell you something. We're not going to have foot washing in this church. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Because it isn't that Jesus washed feet so we need to wash feet. He set an example of serving. Why would Jesus wash people that wore sandals? Why would He wash their feet? I wear socks. I put new ones on this morning. I wear shoes. Not new, but I got them on. It's not like that back then. You didn't wash somebody's feet unless you were a servant. 
And if you did wash their feet and somebody came into your home, one of the greatest things you can do for them to show them how much you cared was to wash their feet. I'm here to tell you, you can wash my feet all day long and I'm not going to appreciate you one iota. I got tender feet. I got ticklish feet. You touch my feet and I'm going to squirm. I'm not going to like it a bit. And by the way, they're not so dirty that I need you to do that. But I tell you what I do need. I need people that serve. I'll tell you what you need. You need to serve. I'll tell you what you need. You need me to serve. You need to be a servant. I need to be a servant. And it's not by washing feet. It's by getting in there and finding out what is it that I can do to serve so that others might benefit from my service. That's what it's all about. It's not about washing feet. So yeah, you got churches, they're going to come in, they're going to wash their feet. How dumb to do that in the 21st century. D-U-M-B, listen, they may have great motives. I I shouldn't say dumb. Ignorant? Maybe. Well-meaning? Probably. But what you've got to do is learn from the lesson. The lesson isn't about washing feet. That's why you read your Bible. Be careful what you read. Oh, we all got to go out and... If I can just go find somebody's feet to wash, I'll be a better Christian. No. Maybe they have a bigger need than having their feet washed. (laughs) Whatever that was. Look uh, Look at Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. In Luke 22, um, I'm in the wrong chapter. That's why it didn't look familiar at all. Look at verse 27. And look at 26. But ye shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, Is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. That's the example you need to see. It is not an example of feet washing in the 21st century. It is an example of being a servant toward others. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5. Here's the lesson of feet washing. Philippians 2.5 Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not a robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation, and took upon Him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What did Jesus do? He became a servant. Our problem is we don't really necessarily want to be a servant. Sometimes you look at it and you go, well, if I let everybody know I'm a servant, they're going to take advantage of me. And guess what? Some people will. What do you do? You find that balance. You figure out what God wants you to do and you do it. And you don't, you, you just let God take care of all the other stuff. Going back to John chapter 
13. Look at verse 6. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? So you can imagine, I don't know where Peter's in the line, but he washed his feet and washed another one's feet and washed another one's feet. And he comes over to Peter. Now Peter's like, dost thou wash my feet? Well, what did the others say? Maybe they were just in awe. Maybe they're just, they're brand, you know, Peter speaks up. You know, Peter's, Peter's just verbose. He just gets in there and says what's on his mind, and you know sometimes it's it's just insane. But uh, he he just says, "Lord, dost thou wash my feet?" I I get that. I, I believe that any of us that were there and were one of the apostles, except he'd been with them for three and a half years, you got to know something's up by three and a half years. You got to know that he's washing your feet for a reason. There is a purpose. There is a plan. And he's washing your feet for a reason. But Peter speaks up. Verse 7, Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Well, now wait a minute. If all it is is washing feet, he knew he washed his feet. He didn't understand the thing about service yet. He didn't understand that, look, you're already washed... But when you're out there in the world, you need a cleansing. You do. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins for fellowship. And so you need that type of cleansing every day. You gotta, it doesn't mean you've got to remember every sin, but you've got to think about it. You know, I, I need to, I, I need to uh, keep a short account. Listen, you're already forgiven for eternity on your sin. But your sin affects your relationship. Therefore, 1 John 1, 9, in the context, is talking about fellowship. You want to have fellowship. You can't just go out here and live like you please and then turn around and go to church on Sunday and go, well, everything's okay. No, it's not. He said, you'll know hereafter. Look at Matthew 26. Matthew 26. It's just another passage in the same light. Look at verse 63. But Jesus held His peace, and the high priest answered and said unto Him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. I mean, they're all looking at him going, what? Man, great fear fell on, 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 on the government leadership at that time because of that. He says, you may not know now, but you're going to know one day what those words meant. You're going to know one day I'm coming back And I'm not coming back as a lamb for the slaughter. I'm coming back on a white horse. The sword of the Spirit is going to be coming out of my mouth. I'm going to destroy all my enemies. He's going to send His angels before that and gather the elect. The rapture's already happened seven years earlier. I always have to say that just to make sure you don't get confused. 
This is not the rapture. He's talking about the second coming. The second coming when he's going to destroy all of his enemies. So he's coming back. He's going to destroy all of his enemies. And that's what he's talking about. He says, you're going to understand that at that time. You may not understand the feet washing. They didn't understand the feet washing, he says, but you will understand after that. Verse 8, so Peter speaks up again. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. I don't know about you, but that's pretty brash. Lord, you're washing everybody's feet. You'll never wash mine. Jesus just real simply answered him. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Man, that is, that, that, that is blunt back. I'm going to wash your feet because if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. <laughs> then Peter again. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Goes from one extreme to the other. Just like a lot of Christians. You know what we need? We need... You know, we talk about mountain and valley, mountain and valley, mountain and valley. You know, I don't have a whole lot of mountaintop experience. Or if I do, I want to stay right at the tip anyway, so it's just a blip. But man, if you are up and down and up and down, that's a frustrating life. That's tough. We've got to figure out how to get more even keel in our lives. Man, Peter's just like all over the map. Never wash my feet. Oh, not just my feet. I don't get the point. Now I'm going to talk again, and I'm going to say even more that's even dumber than what I just said, and I want you to wash my hands and my neck and my nose and my, you know, and, and, and Jesus is just like, look, you're already washed. He's going to tell him that in a minute. He says in verse 10, Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but, he, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean... But not all. You know, he's on his mind again and again and again. In this chapter, is Judas Iscariot. But not all of you. Remember I told you, I think the washing has to do with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, verse 27. The washing of the water by the Word. You see, they're washed clean by the Word. The Word made him clean. The blood hadn't been shed yet. Unless, in God's mind, remember, God can, God can look forward and know the future, and He can look and say, He's going to die on that cross. You're clean through the blood. Or it could just be that he's, you're, you're washed by the water. Verse 11, again, you're clean but not all. Verse 11, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said he, you're not all clean. In John chapter 17, verses 11 and 12, the Bible says, none of you is lost but the son of perdition. So they're all clean, none of them's lost, there's one unclean, he's lost, he's Judas Iscariot. What does that mean about the other eleven? They have eternal security. Before the blood. How can they have eternal security before Jesus died on the cross? Great question. One that has, has created a dilemma in the body of Christ where people can't figure out how that can be because we have a great God. We have an omniscient God. We have a God that can look forward in the future. People weren't looking forward to the cross. People weren't trusting the cross before the cross. People don't understand the cross before the cross. God did. So God can look forward to the cross and go, all of you are clean. None of you is lost. Except for one, 
Judas Iscariot, why? He's never trusted in me. He trusted in self. He trusted in the 30 pieces of silver. He trusted in carrying that bag. He's carrying that bag around. He's like, man, money, 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 money. That's all that's important to me is money, 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 money. God says, man, there's much more important things than money. How about your soul? Man, the the Bible goes through and says, listen, one soul is worth all the riches of the world. One soul is worth that much. How come people don't get that? How come you talk to people about the Lord and the fact that He died on the cross, He shed His blood, He wants to forgive your sins and wash away all your sins in the blood, not in the water. He wants to wash away those sins if you'll simply trust in Him. And that soul is more important than all the riches in the world. I was reading about Elon Musk and uh, Bezos. You know, they got something like 100 million and 200 million each. 200 billion, 100 billion and 200 billion each. And I'm like, and they were talking about San Francisco and the needs out there and the, and, and the poor in the streets. I'm thinking, I don't know, but I'm thinking that if you gave me a million dollars, I could probably help one or two of them out. Or three or four. Or a whole block. I'm not getting this. I'm not getting people talking about the poor and having all of those, those riches. But, but, but I, I, guess it's, I guess the problem is if they spend it on the poor, they won't be the richest. They got the bag. They got the bag. But that soul is worth more than their whole big bag of billions. You're clean, but not all of you. Verse 12, so after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you. Do you understand? Do you get it? You know, you say it to your children, do you get it? You know, the problem, the, the problem that children don't get is every child wants freedom. To make their own decisions. It's like, I want to do what I want to do. Well, you don't understand. If, if you get to doing what you want to do, when you go out and get a job, your boss is going to tell you what to do. Well, I'm not going to listen to him. Then you're not going to have a job. And every, every problem is not just children. Adults. We want our own way. We want our own will. I don't want my will to be done. When I think about it, I pray every time. Not my will, but thine be done. That's what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Good enough for Him. It's good enough for me. Here He is, the God of the universe. And He says, not my will, Father, but Your will be done. Because listen, He didn't want to be separated from the Father. He was willing to go to that cross. He was willing to die on that cross. He was willing to pay for our sin. But He did not want that separation from the Father. So He said, if there's any other way, take this cup, the cup of God's wrath. Take this cup from me if there's any other way. But, 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 not my will, but Thine be done. That's what's so important. Verse 13, you call me Master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done. What was the example? Washing feet? Nope. Being a servant. Being a servant. A lot of pastors struggle with being a servant. You want to know why? Because a lot of people have needs. And so the more that you put yourself out there, the more people you have to deal with. And so they, they build this wall. And they, and they separate from the people. And then, and then they don't understand why people put them up on a pedestal or think they're different. And I get it. I, I mean, I've been around a long time. I've seen so many different examples, good and bad, and I'm like, man, where is, where's the right one? Where do, where do I go with it? And my, I look at it and I say, well, the best I can do, I need to try to be a servant. But I've got to tell you, sometimes it can be pretty demanding. You know? and, and, and you look at me and go, well, you do all that other stuff. You do all that other stuff. That other stuff, every bit of it, is trying to be focused on, on, on relationships with the ultimate goal of getting the gospel out and the effectiveness of trying to figure out how in this wicked world can we make an impact. I already told you about the back to blue thing. It's been on my heart for a year now. And I, and, and I know we're going to do it. I just, I just have to figure out the logistics. I've got to figure out, you know, my thought last night was, boy, is this church big enough? You go, what? Wouldn't that be a nice problem? And I went, oh, we could have an overflow in the fellowship hall. You know, we got, we got the technology. We just take the video here and put it in there and shoot it up on the wall. and blah. You know, That's how I'm thinking. We could have three people here. I don't know. I'm just telling you, if we do it right, we could really minister to a group of people that don't get ministered to enough and don't get told thank you enough. And we need to do it with, with, with the military and, and, and with nurses and with first responders and with teachers and with, I mean, really, Katie bar the door. There's no stopping it. We've got to start somewhere, though. And one of the biggest things is figuring out how do we, how do we get it together. I don't want to wear you all out. I'm, I, don't, I don't think I am. I don't think I ask too much of everybody right now. I, I, I'm, we were going to do the fellowship next week, and I'm, I'm always with fear and trembling. Boy, we do the fellowship. The ladies got to work hard, most of them, you know, do the setup for that. And, 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 uh, and you just, you're always wondering, am I, am, I, am I always putting too much on people? And then you see the church, what it does, and you go, wow, it's what they want to do. Praise the Lord. Let's figure it out. Let's make sure we're servants. You're a servant first. Servant first. I appreciate everything. I, listen, I see you all reach out to each other. I see you pray for each other. I, I, I see how you care for each other. Listen, that's so important. Keep it up. Don't get weary in well-doing. That's what the verse says. 
You get weary in well-doing. Why? You keep doing well and, 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 and maybe there isn't the recognition. That's a problem. And listen, I try to recognize people. I don't want you to get lifted up with pride. But I try to recognize people because I think it's important. I think it's important to realize that people are sacrificing and giving and going and doing. And then you look at it and you go, thank you. But what if you don't get the thank you? Because I'm also very old. Very forgetful. I can get up here with a thought and go, I need to thank so-and-so for this. And by the time I get four minutes down the road, I've already forgotten who I need to thank. So what I want to say is this. One blanket thank you. Now I've covered all of you for the rest of the year. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your service. Thank you for what you're going to do the rest of the year. Thank you for this meeting that we might have that you're going to do so well on. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll go from there. Look at verse 15 again. He says, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily. This is really impacting here. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Do you see that? Judas Iscariot again is on his mind. Now I tell you before it come to, that it come, that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am He. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me, and he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. What a great Bible. But you see how his focus is is on Judas Iscariot here toward the end of his life? This whole chapter he goes through and it's Judas, it's Judas, it's Judas. And and listen, it goes all the way back. He's quoting Psalm 41 verse 9 there in verse 18. But he goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. About the heel, Satan. What an amazing God. What an amazing book. What an amazing example of service. We need to be known as a church that serves others. Not, we know it all. We're better than everybody else. We can look down on everybody else. We need to be a church that serves and need to be known for that. The greatest compliment I get out of this church is the friendliest church that some people have ever been in. Keep it up. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Let's all stand together. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your many blessings. I just ask that you guide, lead, and direct in all things. Lord, we just praise you and give you all the honor and glory for everything that's done. Lord, we need you. We need you to be our God, our Lord, our Savior, and help us to serve like you have told us to serve. Not washing feet so much, but that example of service that in that century, in that time, was the greatest example that you could give. 
one of humbling yourself, getting down before somebody's feet and washing their feet. We think about uh, the chapters before where the woman got down and washed your feet with her hair. What an example of service for us. In Jesus' name. Head bowed and eyes closed. The music plays.